Well, we come to our Bible reading, which is Psalm 91. So if you have that in front of you, that would be great. And Psalm 91, it's, it has the, the dubious distinction of being the only psalm quoted by Satan. Um, and we'll come to that later. But it's the second psalm in Book 4 of the Psalter. So Book 3 of the Psalter ended with a lament for the fall of David's house. And so Book 4 addresses a people who have lost it all. They've lost temple and kingdom and homeland and have experienced the dislocation of exile. They have lost almost everything, but they have not lost God. They have not lost God. And so Psalm, so book four starts with this great psalm, Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. Um, and then 91 is, well there's no heading to this psalm. So some people have attributed it to, to Moses, seeing that there's no heading. Um, that's the ancient sort of Jewish tradition. And there are different connections between 90 and 91. There's a wilderness setting to Psalm 91 and, and various connections. Some have attributed it to David. So in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint is attributed to David because some of the expressions as we go through sound very Davidic. They sound like book one of the Psalms. Um, so we're not really sure um, who, who it's by. So let me read this uh, wonderful Psalm. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes And see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, 
I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen and amen. That's a lovely psalm, isn't it? And the central theme of this psalm, it is a promise of God's protection. It is a promise of complete safety, isn't it? That just comes through in in many of the lines, in many of the images of this psalm, the promise of God's protection. And so it, it speaks to just a very human need, isn't it? It's one of one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, isn't it? Once you've sort of got your food and shelter sorted out, our, our need of safety and shelter. And if we feel unsafe, uh, we have feelings of fear and anxiety that crowd in upon us. And so let me ask you this morning, what are you fearful about? What are you scared of? I think you might answer, well, many things. <laughs> don't ask. Many, many fears and anxieties, they, they crowd in upon us, don't they? They crowd in. It's, it's easy, in a way, to sing, I trust in you, I trust in you, and unafraid to go on. But I wonder if that describes your Christian life, whether you are walking through the troubles and difficulties and challenges of this life unafraid, or whether you are at times gripped with fear, gripped with fear about what will happen to you, gripped with fear over what will happen to your children, gripped with fear about living in modern Britain in our day and in our age and in our generation. This would have been a good sermon text for the pandemic, it strikes me. It wasn't one I preached back then. But that was a time when, as a nation, we went through deep, deep fear. And many people in the Church of Jesus Christ walked through that time with deep, deep fear. Well, this is a psalm which speaks of of the safety that we have in Christ. But what are we to make of it? What are we to make of this psalm? So many people um, take this psalm and use it in a sort of superstitious sense. It's one of the psalms that uh, we we sort of like. You sometimes see this one up on posters on on the wall. And it's, you know, the, the safety. And if we've got this psalm, that we will just be safe through this life. And it's sort of, we can use it in a superstitious or talismanic sort of sense. Um, And if you know your Bibles, you'll know that that Israel of old often had a sort of a superstitious sense of safety when there was no real safety. So you might remember um, the Israelites' view of when they had the ark at the beginning of 1 Samuel. They thought, as long as we have the ark, Israel are going to be safe from their enemies, safe from the Philistines. Do you remember what happened? They got they got thumped, didn't they, by the Philistines. They were not safe. Or later on, um, when it came to the, the book of Jeremiah, uh, they thought, if we, as long as we've got the temple of the Lord, we will be safe from the invading armies. Um, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we're going to be safe from all this destruction and trouble. And, and they were not safe in that, in that sense. And we can sort of use this psalm in a rather superstitious sense, um, or 
then we can just think, well, it's, it's just not true, is it? So the people, people do, uh, Christians do go through difficulty and trouble and are not guarded in all their ways and are not borne up. So we just set it to one side. So we need to come to a, a mature view of this part of scripture. We need to come to a, a mature view of this psalm that we can be strengthened and nourished by this part of scripture. So uh, what I want to do, I'm not going to go through this psalm uh, verse by verse, verse by verse. That is my ordinary practice. Um, I want to try to to take a or really mainly, I'm mainly going to look at verse 4, uh, one of these great images of the Psalms, and then tr- attempt to do a sort of uh, whole Bible view of it a bit more and look at a sort of a Christological, or, or see how it's fulfilled for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, but we will s- start at the beginning uh, and see how we get on. So, um, it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So if you are in someone's shadow, you are right by them, aren't you? You are in their shelter. But do you notice, verse 2, how the psalmist is expressing just personal trust in the Lord. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. And this is one of these expressions, very like King David in book one of the Psalms, who was very frequently in the midst of great difficulty and great trouble, was calling out to God, saying, I trust in you, my God in whom I trust. This is about a personal trust in God for the people of God. Verse 3, he will deliver you, it's a promise of deliverance, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Here the believer or the people of God are, are pictured as vulnerable, like a vulnerable bird hopping along, vulnerable to traps and snares and difficulties. But God is the one who is going to uh, protect them from those secret, from those hidden difficulties, from those troubles. You might think of the book of Numbers as the Lord led his people through difficulties they didn't even know were there. This is how the Lord delivers his people who trust in him. And then we come to to verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you'll find refuge. Now, I wasn't sure when I studied this what, what, what the pinion bit was. Um, pinions are part, part of the wing. It's part of the joint, the sort of near the, the main wing feather. So it's just another way of saying wing. He will cover you with his wings. Under his wings you will find refuge. And uh, the root of this imagery and the root of this song is the song of Moses. In Deuteronomy 32, uh, from verse 10 to 12, speaking of how the Lord uh, delivered his people Israel uh, from the wilderness. So reading from verse 10, Deuteronomy 32, speaks of the Lord uh, like this. He says, he found him, that is Israel, in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness 
He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And, and the, the image there is uh, the, 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 pupil, the, the apple of your eye, the iris, the, that we naturally protect and guard our eye, don't we? It's an image of protection. He kept Israel as the apple of his eye. And here we go, verse 11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign god was with him. This wonderful picture of the Lord uh, protecting and caring for his people. The presence of God going with his people. You might think of the the beginning of the Bible speaks of uh, the Lord uh, hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Another more bird imagery. So, so the Lord is frequently pictured in the scriptures in this bird-like imagery. And that, that's what we find in Exodus, sorry, Exodus, Deuteronomy 32. And that's what is being picked up here. And this image is picked up many times by, um, by King David in book one of the Psalms. So uh, Psalm 17 verse 8, David Praise, he says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. He's taking this, this language and he's applying it personally to his own life that God would protect him. <clears throat> Speaking there as, as God's king, the Messiah. And again, you find that Psalm 36, verse 7, Psalm 57, verse 1. And different times in scripture we find this this same image of um, coming to shelter under uh, the Most High, under the wings of the Most High. So um, we we were doing, uh, just before Christmas, we we looked at the book of Ruth. If you know the the book of Ruth, there's this central section in Ruth when when Ruth falls down before Boaz. And um, she's come from, a, from a, a foreign land, a Moabite woman who's come from a foreign land to seek refuge uh, in the, the God of Israel. And here Boaz says this, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So there, there was... Ruth and Moabite, who had come to shelter under the wings of Almighty God. And Boaz, using that imagery, and if you know the book of Ruth, there's that lovely bit where she says to him, um, tuck me under your wing, Boaz. And she actually comes there into his household, and that's seen as a place of safety and protection and in that community in the dark days of the judges when there was great evil all, all around them. But, so you see this imagery used as coming under the shelter of God's wings, coming under his protection. And there's a connection between that imagery of, of sheltering under God's wings and actually the, the manifestation of God's presence among his people. And we see that in the, in the angelic host the many-winged host of God. You have the, the throne room of God, the presence of God. We're given these images of a, a many-winged uh, angels. Think of the book of Ezekiel. And this is depicted uh, in, the, in the tabernacle 
and in the temple, uh, the, the, the holy place in, in the tabernacle, there are many images of um, guarding angels, angelic beings. Or think of the Ark of the Covenant. There are these winged uh, angels who stretch out their wings. So to be in the, the place of the presence of God is to be in a place where you are guarded and protected. Now, when I've thought of this before, um, you remember sort of Genesis 3, when, when Adam is cast from the presence of God, and you have the, the cherubim are, are guarding the way back to the presence of God. So you have those angelic beings, and they are, are guarding the entrance to the presence of God, to, to Eden, the throne room of God. And they, they sort of function there like... Um, Angelic bouncers, bouncers in front of a club. You, know, you, you, you cannot come in. You can't get through into the, the throne room of God. But David, as he's, he's thinking about being, being in the presence of God, he's actually he's inside the temple, and he's now surrounded by angels. They are guarding him from difficulty, from trouble, from danger. And so... Um, David in Psalm 61.4 prays to the Lord like this. He says, let me dwell in your tent forever, your tabernacle forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. So for David, as he thought about being in the presence of the living God, he just had this, this sort of mental image of, of, of spiritual realities that he was actually surrounded by the heavenly host, completely safe from his enemies. And when he was trouble, faced trouble and difficulty, he would seek the presence of God and seek to know that he was in a safe place in God's presence. So this is, this is the imagery used in this psalm of, of God's protecting hand for his people. And so, verse 5, um, being protected by God, um, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence, nor the destruction. The Lord is promising to completely surround his people such that they do not need to fear. The point is not that there is no trouble, no terror, no arrows that fly by day, no pestilence, no destruction, but that the Lord will shelter his people in the midst of all these dangers and afflictions and troubles. So verse 7 to 10 again speak of the Lord's protection. A thousand falling at your side, ten thousand at the left side. Um, you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. No evil should be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Here, God's protection from God's people from the plague which is at that time destroying God's enemies. You might think here of the events of, of the Exodus where various plagues fell uh, on, uh, on Egypt. But God's people who trusted in him in the midst of that were kept safe, were sheltered. And God's people needed to continue to trust in him and not trust in a foreign God or not move outside of God's protection. 
So these things really then come to speak of ultimate realities, us needing to find eternal safety in the shadow of God's wings from eternal judgment and wrath. So the psalm gives this this wonderful promise of protection for the Lord's people, for his covenant people, an encouragement for us to trust in him. But we need to see how these things are fulfilled um, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Son of God, in great David's greater Son. And so these, you might like to turn up uh, Luke's Gospel. Actually, Luke chapter 4 um, is uh, where we see this in, in, in Luke's Gospel, in the temptation narrative. And Satan, in, in a way, gives us a demonstration of how not to apply the psalm. It comes in his, his tempting of the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. So Luke chapter, chapter 4. Turn that up as well. So Jesus, full of the Spirit, returns from the Jordan. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. And we come, it's from verse 9. And when um, the devil takes the Lord Jesus to Jerusalem... Sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what's the the temptation here? Well, the temptation is that, that Jesus might demonstrate that he is the son of God. Did you notice that? Satan saying, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down and you have this this sort of divine prote- protection. It will be a, a great demonstration that you are the Son of God. And interestingly, um, Satan seems to recognize that Psalm 91 is a messianic psalm, that this is actually speaking of the Messiah. So Son of God um, is a title for Israel's king. Uh, we think Son of God will... Uh, Jesus is God the Son. The second person of the Holy Trinity is the eternal Son of God. But uh, he is the son of God in in the sense that he is Israel's king. So son of God is a title which refers to Israel's king, refers to the the Messiah. So Satan say, like, if you are the Messiah, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and you will, the angels will catch you and you can demonstrate to everyone you are the son of God. And uh, Jesus says to him, well, citing Deuteronomy, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus saying to him here, look, if I throw myself down, I would be putting the Lord God to the test. I'm not going to put the Lord God to the test. I'm going to trust in God. So if you're the son of God, Satan says, if you're the son of God, do this. Throw yourself down. Prove you're the son of God. 
That was not how the Lord Jesus Christ was going to show that he was the Son of God. How was the Lord Jesus Christ going to demonstrate he was the Son of God? How was the Lord Jesus Christ going to fulfill Psalm 91? Well, Psalm 91, verse 13, which is uh, the promise uh, that you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Jesus, God the Son, the seed of the woman, is the one promised. Genesis 3.15, remember the Lord's promise to, well actually spoken to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus came as the Son of God, to trample Satan underfoot. That is why he came. That is how he fulfilled Psalm 91. And that is how he demonstrated to everyone that he was the Son of God. Not by jumping from the temple and being caught, but by hanging on the cross and dying. Remember the words of the centurion, surely this man, is the Son of God. It is in his cross and his death and his resurrection that he demonstrates that he is the Son of God. And so as we we think of this psalm and meditate on this psalm and this promise of protection and how to think about that, we need first of all to meditate on our Lord Jesus Christ and on how he came to fulfill this psalm. It is about the Messiah. And verses 14 to 16, you can see uh, in the first instance this promise of the Lord's protection to his faithful servant, his Messiah. Verse 14 of Psalm 91. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Words, first of all, to the Son of God, the Messiah, who went down to deepest hell and then was raised up and was shown salvation. He was rescued, delivered from the darkest pit These words wonderfully fulfilled in the Messiah. So we see these things as fulfilled in the Messiah. But yet, um, Jesus is, is the one who calls a new people to him, a new Israel to him, that we might take shelter under his wings. That we might shelter as his disciples uh, in Christ. So he expects his disciples uh, to, to, to do that. So remember Jesus um, in the storm. There was this great storm that blew up on, on the lake. And there is the Lord Jesus. He he's perfectly, feels perfectly secure and safe. He could be 
praying Psalm 91, couldn't you? In the eye of the storm, safe in the shadow of your wings. You know, there is the Lord Jesus feeling perfectly secure as everything's raging around him. And there are his disciples, uh, you know, utterly fearful and in, in complete distress. And he's saying to them, look, come to me. Look, trust in me. Trust in me. And, and he actually, he uses this, this psalm uh, later on as he, he speaks of them and says, um, says in Luke, oh, I can't remember which, uh, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 19, to his disciples, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Um, and, so, and so Jesus is, is saying that, that these verses are fulfilled not only in Christ, but in his people, in, in his disciples. And we see that again, I think, in his lament over Israel. So he said to Israel, as he comes to Jerusalem, he says, how often... I have longed to gather you, you unbelieving Israel, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Um, So uh, unbelieving Israel would not be gathered under the wings of the Lord Jesus, and yet that is what he invites his disciples to take shelter and to be gathered and to be safe in the shelter of his wings. But we think, well, what, what kind of safety is this? What kind of safety is it that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? What kind of safety is it that we have as we are sent out into the world as his followers? And there's a, there's a verse which I find very striking in, in well, a passage in Luke 21, where Jesus is he's charging his disciples really with what they are going to face as they go out as his witnesses into the world. So this is Luke 21, verse 10 onwards. Then Jesus said to them, um, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Verse 16, you will be delivered up by parents and brothers, and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated for, uh, by all for more my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Did you get that contrast? Did you get that? Verse, 17, verse 16, they will put you to death. Verse 18, Not a hair of your head will perish. Did you get that? They're going to kill you, but don't worry, you won't suffer any harm. 
I mean, it'd be a bit like a sort of a captain in the First World War. Say, right, lads, okay, it's time to go up over the top. And some of you are going to be shot to pieces with a Gatling gun. Some of you are going to be blown blown up by a mine. But don't worry, you're all going to be perfectly safe. Well, really? Well, which is it? Okay, so the Lord Jesus, he's sending sending us out as sheep amongst wolves. But he's promising this absolute security and safety... Why? For we are united to Christ. Because we are in Christ. Because Christ, our head, has died. He's risen from the dead. He is seated with um, God, at the right right hand of God, the Father. Um, We are already in heaven, united to Christ. We we, we are already uh, seated in, in heavenly places. We are perfectly secure in him. That means that's why Jesus said, like, don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can throw you into hell. Do not fear anything in this life. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, what can you fear? Well, nothing ultimately. And this was the faith with which the, the martyrs had. This is why those early Christians could faith, face death with courage could face down the powers and the authorities, those who had the power to put them to death, they could face that because they knew they were in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the confidence, that is the confidence with which we see the church of Jesus Christ going out into the world. And that is the confidence we need, isn't it? To know that in the midst of any trouble, he is completely sovereign over all the events of our lives. And we are safe in him, safe under the shadows of his wings. We will never face what our our Lord and Saviour faced. He faced the wrath of God for us. We face the terror or the fear of death as a... As a ditch we have to go through. Uh, it's the last enemy. It is an enemy. Uh, yeah, we might fear it. But we do not have to, to plunge into the depths as Christ did. He, he bore that for us. So that we can face even our own earthly demise and decay. Trusting in our Lord and Saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we can... Tread on snakes and scorpions. It's interesting, this, this verse then comes at the end of the book of, book of Romans. And he says, you'll soon tread Satan under your feet. He was giving confidence to the church that in all their troubles, in all the difficulties they faced, that they would have, they did have the victory over every evil attack. So, Christ will keep his people safe so as you look ahead you may be tempted to fear many things I must ask are you in Christ have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have you come to trust in Christ and exercise that personal trust in him if you have not you you must know that there is nowhere safe elsewhere there is no safety in any other God or any other, any other earthly security. Our only safety in this life and in the next is the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you put your trust in him? And if you have, well, enjoy it. Enjoy being in the shadow 
of his wings, sheltered in his presence. And seek him in all your affliction and trouble and difficulty as you are tempted to fear and tempted to anxiety. Seek him as David sought him. Seek him. Seek the place of shelter. Pour out your heart to him in your trouble, in your anxiety, that whatever we go through, we might trust in him and hope in him. Well, I'll close again uh, with just these words which we had earlier from the book of Romans, and then I will pray, and then we will sing our final song. Paul writes in Romans, asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that we gather in the shelter of your wings, that we are in your holy presence, that we have access through Christ to be in your presence. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Pray that any who are in the grip of fear and anxiety, would be able to cast those fears on you and seek you as, as David sought you, as, um, as Christ sought you, that we might have repose and calm even through trouble and difficulty. Praise you that you keep us through the, um, the terrors even of our earthly demise and death that you've provided for us, that in Christ is the resurrection of the dead and the hope of the life of the world to come. We do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world suffering persecution and difficulty and trial of many kinds that you might bring them your comfort and your help. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.